are listening to the District Church Podcast. To learn more about us, find us online at districtchurch.org. I have to say, it is a real joy and honor to be here with you at District Church. You have an amazing church. And what I mean by that is not just that you have an amazing space. Actually, I don't mean that at all. I mean, you have amazing people. (laughs) You have amazing people um, from the moment that I got picked up uh, by Aaron at the um, hotel to the incredible conversations I was able to have in the workshop yesterday, to my friends Johan and Pastor Kevin, um, to Pastor Aaron, Pastor Amy, just the generosity, the kindness, the hospitality of your community, Minister Crystal. Um, I'm just really blessed to be here with you today. And I'm really excited to be with you in this Lenten series. You know, when Pastor Aaron said, hey, are you willing to come and teach? Um, I was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to do that. I mean, it's always an honor when someone asks you to do that. But let me give you a little bit of insider baseball on how this typically works for pastors. Usually there's like a tacit agreement that like when you come and you preach at somebody's church, you get to preach one of your best sermons that you've already prepared, you know? Like it would be new to you, right? So you would be like, this is amazing. And, you know, but, but this one actually was something that I've not preached on before. And I just want to tell you, God met me in the preparation of this with some powerful insights that I believe he has for all of us today. So I'm really excited to share this message with all of you. Um, I'm going to start by giving you a couple stories just to kind of maybe get to know me, feel me out a little bit. And so this first story, there are two stories that have to do with fruit. And so the first story is this. When I was in college, I went to college in Pittsburgh. My oldest brother lives in Pittsburgh. And I remember being at his house one morning, and it's breakfast time, and I come downstairs, and there's like a basket of like, you know, tangerine oranges, right? So, you know, I I go and open one up. I'm ready to eat it. And right before I eat it, I cut into it, and I look at it, and it's like this gross, dark, red color orange. And I'm just like, man, there's no way this is good. So I'm, I'm going to throw this away. This isn't good. This is spoiled. So, and you know, but there's a whole other basket there. So then I go to the other basket and I grab another and I'm like, all right, that's just one. And I, and I cut that one open and it's the same thing. Like it just really looks dark red. I'm like, this, is, this isn't a tangerine I've ever seen. And, you know, and so now I realize like, okay, this isn't just one orange that has this problem. They all have this problem. So why don't I just do the responsible thing? You know, I'm just going to do the communal thing, and I'm just going to throw all of these oranges away, because clearly all of these oranges are bad. And some of you know that was very wrong of me, because what kind of oranges was I dealing with? Blood oranges, which, by the way, actually are far more expensive than the tangerines I'm used to eating. And so literally, this happened 30 years ago, but my sister-in-law will still never let me live down the day that I threw away all of her blood oranges. She had a plan for dinner that included the blood oranges, and she made this grand announcement at the dinner that we won't be having blood oranges today because my (laughs) brother-in-law decided to get rid of all the oranges. So that's one story. Second story of fruit has to do with raspberries. By the way, I do love fruit. So just, you know, I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. But second has to do with raspberries. So here's the question. Um, you don't have to put your hand up on this because we clearly know that there is a God, godly answer. So I'm not going to put you in a box. Um, raspberries. When it comes to raspberries, do you wash your raspberries before you eat them or you just eat them plain? Like, don't, don't raise your hand, but I just know in a room this size, there's probably a mixed audience on this. Well, clearly the godly answer is you don't have to wash your raspberries. So um, 
So I'm, I'm preparing my raspberries for my daughter. I have three kids, and my daughter wants raspberries. So I'm, you know, putting them on a plate, and I'm giving them to her. And she like, she's like, Dad, there's like this, like this, this black speck. Like, sh- should I eat that? And I'm like, oh, it's cool. Yeah, no, you, you can eat it. And, and so then she keeps eating her raspberries. So then I was like, you know what, I'm going to have me a couple raspberries. So I grab some raspberries. I, too, see the black speck, and it's moving. So, yes, I am the father who fed my daughter not just raspberries, but a little extra protein on the side (laughs) with whatever bugs won the raspberries. Now, why do I tell you those two stories? Because clearly I am not the best judge of good fruit. (laughs) And I wonder if that's not just true for us in the physical, but maybe it's true for us in the spiritual as well. So here's a hot take. Here's a hot take. I believe that the biggest challenge to followers of Jesus living fruitful lives may not be sinfulness, but might be busyness. I had a seminary professor who said this. He said, one of Satan's strategies is to make you so busy that he doesn't really have to make you bad. And I know about that because part of my story is growing up in the church. I grew up not too far from D.C. I grew up in, um, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's where I'm from. Um, and so love growing up in Philly. And I grew up in a church family, like really small church, family-centric church. I was in church all the time. And um, I don't know how your Sundays typically go here at District, but I'm guessing they're not as extensive as mine were. So 945 Sunday school followed by 11 o'clock service, where if we were lucky, we would be done by 2.30. Yes, I went to one of those churches, right? And most Sunday, not most, but many Sundays, that wasn't the end of the story. You go and grab some food, but then you come back for evening service. Can I get an amen? Somebody grew up in a church like that, right? You, you go for evening service, and that was on top of, of course, Wednesday night Bible study and Tuesday night choir rehearsal and all of those things. So I grew up in a church that was very, very active. It's called Shekinah Revival Temple, still on Broad Street. Love it. Love like, yeah, you know, like that's telling you all you need to know about the church I grew up in, right? And so, so I love growing up in that church, and there's a lot of good that came from that. I got to worship with my family every week. I learned so much about God's truth and God's word. The music was amazing. Quite frankly, uh, the worship leader here, Elliot, was bringing me back. He was bringing me back to some of the things that we did in my church. But I will also say that when you grow up in church that way, it makes you susceptible to what I think is one of the biggest temptations as a follower of Jesus, and one that, quite frankly, never goes away for me, and it's this. It's the temptation to say, I'm saved by grace, but to live like I'm saved by my efforts. See, many of us run ourselves ragged in the name of Jesus. We're constantly pushing through, doing too much in our own power, on our own. There's a book called With by Sky Jathani, and he says this, making God's mission into an idol is a common and serious fault of the life for God posture because it perpetuates the rebellion of Eden. It is a more subtle way of dethroning God and replacing him with something we can control. And I know that I have wrestled with this, and I also know that our culture does not help us with this, right? Hustle culture. Always on the grind. Like, that's, that's what it is. And I know, I mean, I don't live in D.C., but I know there is a unique brand of this hustle culture in this city. Y'all know it. Lots of overtime. People here for a limited period of time, so they're trying to make a mark, or they're trying to advance themselves. And so we can find ourselves really, really stuck in this over-busy cycle. But for the Christian, being over-busy is actually a symptom of a bigger spiritual issue. 
We're talking about fig trees today. And I don't know if you know that most fig trees' diseases are due to two things, either overwatering or lack of airflow. And I think the spiritual equivalent to overwatering is being overbusy. And I think the spiritual equivalent to lack of airflow is not coming up for air and taking breaks in Sabbath. And so the question we want to lean into today is what does Jesus have to say about all this? Well, we find this out in what I'm calling the curious case of the fig tree. I mean, when you're reading this scripture, don't you have this question in your mind? What is up with Jesus? Seriously, what is going on? I mean, both of these stories that we're going to talk about, the clearing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree, this is not the lamb petting Jesus that I'm used to seeing. Like, what is going on with Jesus here? We're going to look at these because there's something that he wants to show us about fruit. Let's start with Mark 11, 12, 14, again, reading the story of the fig tree. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So seriously, what's up with Jesus here? Is he having an off day? Is this hangry Jesus? He says he's hungry. Like, is this just how he acts when he's hangry? Or is he saying something that has more meaning? Actually, fig trees have a lot of meaning in the Bible. Um, it's the only tree we know specifically was in the Garden of Eden. Think about that. Adam and Eve covered their bodies with fig, fig leaves. It's also a symbol of prosperity, well-being, and security. In fact, sitting under the shade of your own fig tree is the epitome of safety, peace, and well-being. We see this in biblical passages, and we also see this in Hamilton. <laughs> Everyone will sit under their own vine and fig tree. I love that. That's my favorite song in Hamilton. So. <laughs> So it means something, right? This fig tree has symbolism. One um, writer writing about fig trees in Israel says this, these plants don't grow overnight. It takes time to culture and nurture them. Their maturity indicates that the gardener has been continuously and steadfastly there, tending to their growth over the years. And so maybe it should be no surprise that fig trees are also a symbol for the nation of Israel. So in Hosea 9.10, God says, when I found Israel... It was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. And in Micah 7, 1, where it says, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe figs that my soul desires. There is something at the heart of the curious case of the fig tree, and it is this. Big idea today is this. How does Jesus spell growth? F-R-U-I-T. Jesus spells growth not by busyness, but by fruitfulness. And so in cursing the fig tree, Jesus is coming against the hollow religiosity, the busy religiosity of his day. It's a prophetic illustration. He's coming against the religiosity of the Jewish leaders in that day. He's also giving us a warning about the ways that we can be hollow and busy in religiosity in our day. He's coming against prioritizing spiritual busyness over relationship with him. Because there were two kinds of figs that would show up on a fig tree. There were the figs that came in the season of figs. And these are the figs that we think about if you've ever had figs. It's that fig. But there was also something called the first ripe fig. Did you notice that language in even Hosea and Micah that there's a first ripe fig? That was something else. This was when the tree was leafy, 
you would find these little nodules. And these little nodules were kind of the first ripe figs, and they were very, very satisfying. Many travelers would grab these from the tree, and it was a way to satisfy their hunger. So the idea was when you see a leafy tree, it should also be a fruity tree. And that's what Jesus was cursing in this fig tree. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The absence of those first ripe figs was a sign of disease. And it's to that tree that Jesus says, may you never bear fruit again. This is sobering. It's sobering to me. Because again, how does Jesus spell growth? F-R-U-I-T. And so there are two things that we need to know about being fruitful. Number one, fruit flows from relationship with Jesus. Fruit is not evidence just because you're doing a bunch of things for Jesus. You know, we can have this false idea that what it means to be a Christian is a lot of activity, church attendance, quiet time, small group attendance, giving and volunteering at a church. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. It's just that Jesus didn't save you into a life of a bunch of activities. He saves you into a life of bearing fruit. John Mark Comer, I think, is one of the great thinkers of our time. He has a book called Practicing the Way. And he defines spiritual formation as the life of being with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing as he did. And I think that order matters. Being, becoming, before doing, I think is the way that spiritual growth works in our lives. Fruit flows from relationship with Jesus. But what does this cursing of the fig tree have to do with what happens next? It almost feels like a mishmash of stories, like Mark was just running out of space, and he was like, oh, oh, yeah. And I also got to tell you about this time when Jesus cleared the temple. But I believe these are actually very connected stories, because not only does fruit flow from relationship with Jesus, but fruit always flows to others. So let's look at Mark eleven fifteen through 19. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. I'm sure I'm not the only person who grew up in church. How many people have heard this story before? Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, right? And I will tell you that I have misunderstood this story for most of my Christian life. I I always thought that Jesus was only upset because they were selling things in the temple. And I think he was. Don't get me wrong. I think he was. I think he was upset about that. But what I've learned as I've kind of leaned into this and preparing for sharing this with you guys is he was actually probably even more upset, not about the what, but about the where this was happening. See, the way the Jewish temple was laid out, there was a place called the court of the Gentiles. So anybody who was not Jewish, that was the only place where they could approach and worship God. All the rest of the spaces of the temple were closed off to them if you weren't of the Jewish people. And so what that means is Jesus came across the one place 
where people who were far from God could come and worship, and he found that place to be a busy marketplace where they didn't have focus. And so what Jesus does is he physically does what a few days later he's going to spiritually do, which is to clear the way for everyone to come into the presence of God. That's the power of this story on Holy Monday. It's the power of why Jesus was so passionate. It's the power of why he was flipping those tables over because we have a Jesus who will do anything, anything to clear the way for you and I to be back in relationship with God. And that's why you think about scriptures like this when we see Jesus react that that way. In Ephesians 2.12, it says, Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. Let me just pause and tell you, prior to Jesus doing what he did on the cross for you and for me, if you're not Jewish, you did not have a way back. You didn't have a way back. And quite frankly, even the Jewish people didn't have a way back. Not a complete way. They had signs and symbols. They had things that were meant to be temporary, but they didn't have a way back to God. There was no way back to God. The quarter of the Gentiles was cut off to all of us. And that's what I love what comes next. Having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice you didn't bring yourself near. This isn't about what you do. It's not about what I do. It's not about your busyness. Something has been done for us. We've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus made sure to make this powerful statement, powerful statement on Holy Monday, because he wanted to make it very clear that what I go to do on the cross, I am doing for the world. What I go to do on the cross, I am doing for the nations. I'm not just doing it for the people of Israel. That's why he quotes Isaiah 56, 7 and says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? That word in the Greek is the word ethnos. It literally means the people groups of the world. That's literally what Jesus was saying here. And I want to say this to you, District Church. One of the things, and I told Pastor Aaron this, and just experiencing your church, and even just looking looking out over this group of people who are here, your church is so richly diverse. In a diverse city. And I believe God has a unique thing that he's doing at District Church. You know, here's the powerful thing. Jesus wants the good news to go out to all the nations, but God has brought nations to you. He's brought the nations to you. 90 different nations represented in this church, different languages, different ethnic expressions. All of that is such a beautiful picture of what God wants. What a privilege it is. I believe you are a strategic kingdom outpost. But don't miss the warning. If as the people of God, we are more enamored with our spiritual busyness, we will miss the people God is putting in our way to meet Jesus. And again, I think that's why these two stories weave together. You know, it's interesting. It says that he was teaching the people. Well, who was Jesus teaching when he was doing this? He cleared out the money changers. Was he teaching them? Was he teaching the people who were buying and selling? I think that this was an example Jesus was setting for his disciples. I think Jesus wanted the people who were going to live into his ministry mission to know, never put a barrier between people and the good news of Jesus. I think he really wanted us to know that. We know that's true with the fig tree because it says, when he said, may no one ever eat fruit from it again, his disciples heard it. 
Timothy Keller talks about this story, and he says this. A lot of people have had a lot of trouble with Jesus' attitude toward the fig tree. It seems like he's being mean to the fig tree. But what I want you to know, he's really not doing a doggone thing to the fig tree. He's getting into your face and my face. He's not really dealing with the fig tree. He's dealing with us. See, I wonder, have we gotten really good at being leafy Christians? I wonder, do we prize talent over tenderness? I wonder, do we prize charisma over kindness? Do we prize wittiness over wisdom? Do we celebrate giftedness even if it's not matched by godliness? Are we more impressed by activities than we are by someone's humility? Now, you know, it would be like God to be like, okay, Chuck, you can be all big and bad and say this at district church. They don't know you. And so God did something, I think, as I was writing this message that was meant to really help me understand how important this is, that he really means this. And he doesn't just mean it for you, he means it for me. So let me tell you, I was literally in a Panera in Cincinnati writing this message. I was actually at this point in the message. And it was flowing, y'all. I'm like, man, I got whatever it was. It was the tea or the time of day. Like, I'm in the flow. And I'm writing. And man, God is like just flowing, speaking to me. I can't wait to share this good message with you all when I come. And so I'm in this Panera. And as I'm in the Panera, in the flow, with God, doing holy work, a woman and her daughter come up to me. And they ask me, would I buy them some food? And so I closed my computer, and I looked her in the eye, and I said, woman, do you not know that I am doing the work of the Lord right now? (laughs) It's actually not what I did, thankfully. (laughs) I wanted to be like, you know, I mean, this is D.C. Can we be honest? I'm sure you guys get asked for food and money a lot. I'm sure all of us have had that experience. And I would love to tell you as a Jesus-loving pastor person, I always stop. I always give them a crisp dollar bill, and I always say a prayer for them. That is not true, and I'm not going to lie to you. And so in this moment, there was that temptation to just kind of gently, kindly put them aside. But I felt like God was saying in that moment, do you see what I've put in front of you? Do you see the opportunity you have not to be busy but to be fruitful? And so I did. I bought them food. And I'm not telling you that for you to feel good about me. I'm telling you that because it's the kind of opportunity God will place in front of us so we know how much he cares about fruitfulness over busyness. That same day, y'all, that same day, I'm at another restaurant. Yes, I do eat at home sometimes, but I was at another restaurant. And I'm actually having, I was having a meeting with one of my teammates. We're talking about some intense things, and we're kind of just planning, like, you know, where we're going with Undivided. And I was talking about some of the things that were happening this weekend. And I'm about to pay the bill, and the server comes up to me because my friend had to leave. So I was like, oh, you go ahead and leave. I'll pay the bill. She comes up to me, and she says, hey, I'm not trying to eavesdrop, but I heard you guys talking about church. And she said, I think about my spirituality more holistically, but I am looking for a church. And I was like, man, I have an opportunity right here, right now, to invite her to church. And for me, it was one of those moments and opportunities where it's like, man, I can be so caught up on the thing that I'm doing that I forget about the opportunity right in front of me. And I think Jesus is saying that to all of us. I think Jesus wants us to know that fruit flows from relationship with him, that it's not about our activities, but it really is about our intimacy. And from a place of intimacy, he invites us into fruitfulness. And that fruit always flows to other people. There is a a friend that actually, uh, Pastor Aaron and I both share, Dave Ferguson, and he often says this quote, that my fruit grows on other people's trees. 
what God is doing in your life is not just for you. Thank God we get to benefit from it too, but it's not just for you. It's also about where he's taking you. It's also about the people he's putting in your path. And so when I think about an example of how this powerful idea of fruit with Jesus, from relationship with Jesus flowing into fruit for other peoples, I think about probably my favorite statue in New York City. It's the statue of this gentleman whose name is Jeremiah Lanfear, a name that is not very well known in many circles. But I want to tell you what God did with one person's life who prioritized being with Jesus overdoing for Jesus. Jeremiah Lanfear was a businessman in the 1850s in New York City. And as a businessman, he got a call from God to just call people together for a time of prayer. And so he put out a sandwich board in front of his church that said, tomorrow, noon to one, come join for an hour of prayer. And at that first hour of prayer, he spent the first 30 minutes alone. Nobody came. And by the end of that hour, Three other people were with him, four people total. But he felt like God called him to continue to have this space for prayer. So he did the same thing the next week, and the next week, 20 people showed up. And the week after that, 40 people showed up. And not too soon after that, they filled out the room that they were in with people who were just coming to pray. Literally, this caught on to the point where they had to rent out a 3,000-seat auditorium to have a space for people to pray in New York City. And other churches begin to do the same thing, put out their own sandwich boards. And so there were all these churches in New York City that had people praying in the 1850s. And then the news picked this up and said, there's this religious craze going on in New York City. And because of that, churches across the country begin to put out sandwich boards and have people praying. And there's someone who does work in researching evangelism and revivals, how many people came to Christ through different periods, who's looked at this time frame and said, during the three years when Jeremiah Lanfear and all of those people were just being with Jesus, 3% of the U.S. population came to faith. That's the power of being a fruitful Christian and not settling for just being busy. There is something about being with Jesus that changes everything. There is something about us not prioritizing activity, but prioritizing intimacy that unlocks something that God wants to give us. It's about being with God. Maybe that's why when the disciples come and they see that cursed fig tree, Jesus then says to them in Mark eleven twenty four, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. See, fruit can be a lot of things. But one of the sure signs of fruit is an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's one of the clear signs of fruit. Remember what I said earlier about figs? These plants don't grow overnight. It takes time to culture and nurture them. Their maturity indicates that the gardener has been continuously and steadfastly there, tending to their growth over the years. I'm so glad we have a divine gardener who tends to our growth over the years. You know, it would only be a few days' time. You're probably going to cover it in this series when Jesus would say to his disciples the words of John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. How do you tend to a fig tree over the years? You prune it back. And pruning hurts. I'm in a season of pruning right now. 
that, I mean, literally, I was just praying over there. I'm like, God, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this today. I don't know how I'm stepping into this today. But God, I can only do it in your strength. Pruning hurts. And yet it is a way that Jesus spells growth. F-R-U-I-T. The kind of fruit that flows from relationship with Jesus and flows to others. See, I believe wherever you are today, God's vision for your life is fruit. And not just a little bit of fruit, but much fruit. And to be in a place to receive that fruit, it starts by renewing, maybe for the first time, committing to pursuing intimacy with Jesus. What he's going to do in just a few days' time from Holy Monday was meant to pave the way for you to be in relationship with a loving Savior who lived the life that you and I could never live and who died the death that you and I deserve so that he could rise in three days later and empower us to live a life that looks much more like the fruit that he has in mind. So we're going to have an opportunity to pray. I'm actually going to invite the ministry team, if you would, to just start making your way up to the front. Now I'm going to invite everyone else to stand. You know, maybe the thing that God is making you aware of in this moment is, man, you've lost that first love. You've lost that time of intimacy with Jesus. And and that's the thing that he wants you to pray and receive restoration around. Maybe for you, it's like, oh my goodness, I am struck by the business, the hustle culture. I'm in it. I'm in the grind. And I need freedom from that busyness. I need to have the spirit give me creative ways to pause in the midst of my life and my season right now to connect with God in deep ways. Maybe there's someone you want the fruit to flow to. Maybe there's someone you've been praying for. You've been praying for their relationship with Jesus. You've been praying for their healing, their emotional healing, maybe their physical healing. As I close in prayer, I just want to invite you, if God is placing something like that on your heart, to just come up and receive prayer. Relationship is key. Making contact and prayer with another person who's in the same direction as Jesus can unlock things in your life. I believe that it can, and I believe that it will. So would you join me and close your eyes, and let's pray right now. Jesus, may we never be satisfied with being leafy Christians. May we never be satisfied with just being busy. May we never be satisfied with just a bunch of activities. May District Church never be satisfied just because a lot of things are going on. God, would you give us a desire to bear fruit? Would you give us a desire to connect intimately with you, to have our lives be an overflow that we can offer to other people so that more people see the kind of fruit that only you produce? God, for those who will come forward for this time of prayer, I pray that you would just meet them in these requests. I pray that you would empower those who are praying. And I pray that something powerful happens in this room today. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus.